Welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word, the podcast that empowers you to say fuck being fine. Tired of being stuck in a place where you say everything's fine, when it's really not fine at all? You're not alone. I'm your host, Lori Seitz. I've been there too, and so have my guests. Here's a secret. All it takes is a conscious decision to change and then restructure beliefs so your actions take you in the right direction. That's where Fine is a Four-Letter Word comes in. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories from people who have transformed their lives and businesses and practical tips and takeaways to move you from spinning in place to forward action so you can create a life of joy. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Ever go through a part of your life thinking everything is fine, but then experience that moment when your whole world turns upside down? It could be a debilitating health issue or maybe finding out just when you achieved what you thought were your dreams that it wasn't what you really wanted after all, or it comes with baggage that you didn't bargain for. But what if things were never fine to begin with? Kathy Guggenauer was raised as the daughter of two Pentecostal preachers and seemed destined for a life with no dancing, no bowling, no movies, and never being allowed to wear anything but a dress. The only value instilled in her was go to church, which made her rebellious. Then her parents divorced. Her mother remarried, and she found out an awful fact— her mother never wanted her or her brother and had actually tried to abort them. Imagine your mom telling your stepfather throughout your life to keep you away from her. When her mother was on her deathbed, she told Kathy to never have children. So she didn't. She married and divorced twice before she was 30, then married a third time to a man who had already had a vasectomy. In the meantime, her career flourished she started a business helping real estate agents market their businesses, and after the crash of 2008, pivoted to creating a company training VAs how to serve their clients and grow their practices. She's ruled her empire wearing tiaras and PJs because that's how she rolls. Kathy avoided the trauma she expected might come from becoming a mother herself. She had what appeared to be a great marriage, and aside from a few bumps, has always done well professionally. Everything seemed fine. But fine is a four-letter word, and Kathy is discovering that now. Let me repeat, Kathy is discovering that now. Rather than entirely reveal the episode plot, listen to hear Kathy share what's going on in her world these days. We're joining her at the beginning of what she calls the third act of her life. Does she want to continue the same business? Does she want to spend the rest of her life with her husband? Where does she want to live? You rarely hear what happens in the messy middle, much less while it's in progress. So this episode serves up a much different perspective. Like Kathy, it's possible you have lived what has seemed up until now to be a charmed life. But what if you're nearly 70 or whatever milestone you have coming up? And it suddenly hits you that the next act of your screenplay is just beginning to unfold. But it's scary because even though you want to, you don't know how to live differently than you've been living all these years. I get that. It's hard to break free from societal and family expectations, which have become so ingrained in you that you think they're your own beliefs. 
but your soul is telling you there's something more. That's why I created the five easy ways to start living the sabbatical life guide. Once you read it, you'll discover a counterintuitive approach to making intentional changes in mindset and lifestyle. You'll learn how to overcome the fear of being seen as a lazy slacker. And you'll find out how to replace fears, step out of your comfort zone, and rewire your beliefs. It's only seven pages, so it won't take you long to get through. The five tactics are simple, but once you follow even one of them, you'll find yourself feeling more peaceful and even courageous. When you're ready to say fuck being fine, then this guide is the place to start. It's time to blaze a new trail and chart a new course. Go to zenrabbit.com right now to download it for free. Now, let's go meet Kathy. This promises to be an adventure we'll both enjoy. Hello and welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. My guest today is Kathy Guggenauer. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Hey, Lori. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. If you are listening to this, and you probably are listening because I haven't typically posted videos on YouTube yet of my podcasts, um, before we started recording, Kathy hit like this special effects and it created fireworks behind her and it was so cool. Two thumbs up. Oh, she just did it again. It's awesome. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, let's see where to get started. Why don't we start where we always, where I typically start, which is tell me the, tell me the values and beliefs that you were raised with that mm. contributed to you becoming who you are. Yeah. So I was raised a double preacher's kid and in a very, very strict religion, Pentecostal. So I grew up going to church every Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and Wednesday, and cleaning the church in between, even as a little bitty kid. But I was in really bad, just the perfect double preacher skid. I sat in the back. I was bad all the time. And as I grew older, I continued my rebellious ways. Mm, okay. Well, was there other, were there other people in your family that were rebellious? Like, where did this come from? Um, I really think it came from being so like in the Pentecostal religion back then, at least you could do nothing. I mean, I couldn't dance. I couldn't bowl. I couldn't go to a movie. I couldn't wear anything other than dresses. Couldn't wear shorts or pants. Um, I couldn't cut my hair. I mean, I couldn't do anything. Wow. So yeah, go to church. That's what I could do. So, <laughs> so when you are that repressed, I felt repressed. Um, then, you know, you rebel. You do whatever you can do. Like I snuck out of windows. I, you know, you name it. I did it. Did you have brothers or sisters? I had one brother and he didn't do anything. He did really? not. No, he was very, very um, subdued. Yes. I, I was the oldest. He was the youngest. And, you know, I did it all and he didn't do anything. <laughs> That's what I was just about to ask was who is older. And it's unusual, I think, that the older one is the rebellion, more rebellious one. Well, I was definitely rebellious. <laughs> and I still do. I mean, it's still rebellious. Yeah. So what did you like? Okay, so that's how you were raised. But were there values and beliefs that you that were useful to you moving forward? Or did you just go the complete opposite direction and go, none of that applies to me. I'm going to <laughs> do it completely opposite. 
Yeah. So not only were both of my parents ministers, but my father's side of the family, all of them are either ministers or deacons or something. So still to this day, if I go around them, they're like, why are you not a school teacher? So it was drilled into me early on that this was the path I had to take. Um, And good or bad, my father was killed in a head-on drunk driving accident when he was only 29 and I was eight. And then everything changed. So um, we moved. My mother became a teacher instead of a preacher. And she still preached on the side for most of her life and then uh, actually had a church of her own after she retired from teaching. But all of those things that we were, you know, uh, forced to do, shouldn't say forced, agreed to do, felt like we should do as part of the religion. I am not bashing any of these religions. Mm-hmm. Um, went by the wayside once we were no longer um, a member of that Pentecostal church. Um, and so then, you know, I cut my hair. I did, you know, started sneaking out and going and seeing boyfriends and uh snuck in one of I my mother married another man after my father died and so I had step siblings. One of my stepsisters looked much older. She would buy booze and bring it in. We drank. I mean we everything we were not supposed to do, I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did I learn things? Yes, I learned really high values. I mean I still have a lot of integrity. Um I will tell you I was very angry at God for a very long time. Um, fortunately, I'm over that now, and I do believe in God and all of that good stuff, and that does help me have that faith. Um, but do I go to church? No, I don't feel, I just don't feel the need. I, I feel like I did enough church as a child. Uh, God's everywhere, in my opinion, and right here in my heart and my life. So I don't know how I got on this religious thing, because I'm not normally talking about <laughs> But I have a tendency to do that to people. I, I take them off on paths they haven't been yeah. down before. No, I have not been down that one where I spoke about it that honestly. But, um, you know, there's a lot of healing that had to be done after my father died. And my mother did not want children. And she told us, me and my brother, our whole lives, she didn't want us. She tried to abort us. She wished we'd never lived. Oh so, my gosh. Yeah. So it was very difficult being raised by somebody who didn't really walk the talk after my dad died. Yeah. And I can imagine, or I can barely imagine, first of all, how that would have felt for you and your brother to always have been reminded that you were not wanted. Yeah. And secondly, for her, especially at that time in society, to admit that she didn't want them and probably felt compelled by society to have them in the first place. Well, she would have gotten rid of this if she could have, but then mm. there was no abortion rights. She right. didn't know how to go find how to do that. She personally tried to abort us. She wow. described how she would try. Oh my it, gosh. Yeah. So you know how you feel unworthy? You feel yeah. very unworthy when you are told for your entire life on her deathbed, my mother said. Never have children. And I'm like, mom, I got the message. She goes, they ruined your life. And I'm like, I got that message loud and clear. (laughs) Which now is, I have to ask this question of what did you, what have you done to heal from that? Because that's such a traumatic thing to have to live through for a large part of your life. Yeah. So 
I made a decision uh, when I was 16. I remember very clearly saying, I will never have children. You, mom, will never know my children because I will never have them. I will never pass on my genes. I will never pass on how I've been treated. And I did not have children. Hmm. Um, and I also went through lots of therapies. You name okay. a type of therapy, I've gone through it. Um, I, I got married and divorced um, at the age, age of 22, 24. I got divorced. So I got married at 28, divorced at 30. So by 30, I'd already been married and divorced twice. And I looked at myself and thought, Who's the, what's the common denominator here? It's me. And I went into therapy for the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I really believe my therapist saved my life. I, I think I would have killed myself because I was very close to it. Understandably, because you've been told you have no worth. Right. That you were unwanted and you shouldn't be here. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, right now we're recording this is getting into the Christmas time. My mother wouldn't spend Christmas with me. She wanted, mm. she, she didn't give me presents. She didn't, she didn't want to spend any time with me at all. Wow. Like if I called over to her house, my stepdad would answer the phone and I could hear my mom in the background going, tell her I'm in the bathtub. I can't talk to her. I'm like, dad hurt her dad. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah, it was her whole life. And she was unhappy. She was a very unhappy woman. Um, yeah. So the therapist really helped me understand that my mother had probably been abused by her own father. And she suggested that I go talk to my mom about it. And I did. And here's what her mom said. Not that I remember. Which to hmm. me means yes. Right. So she just she didn't want to talk about it. That's right. And she never got help. And, you know, I feel sorry for her in the long run but yeah uh, i will tell you my brother had lots of psycho things too um he is actually diagnosed with schizophrenic Mm. and he was in and out of mental institutions until she died and when she died he's gotten better now he's still paranoid schizophrenic he still has to date meds and stuff but she's been dead eight years and he has not been hospitalized in an entire time that's so interesting because obviously he feels some kind of freedom now yeah. from that. Yeah. Have you have you forgiven her? Yes. Yeah. I, because I wasted a lot of time being hating and being mm-hmm. angry. And that was just on me. What is that saying? If if you continue to hate somebody, you not forgive them. It's like poisoning yourself or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Right. I didn't say that right, but. Yeah. Right. Right. But like holding on to that, that anger and resentment is like drinking poison and expecting it to kill the other person or something exactly. like that, too. Yeah. 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 And I, oh my gosh, for a very, very, very long time, I would say until 40. And then after all that therapy worked through a lot, um, I was really able to forget that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope I don't sound angry because I don't feel angry. It's just a fact of what I lived. Yeah, I'm not hearing anger. That's why I asked about the forgiveness part and and what you've done to heal yourself. Because this conversation and the previous conversation we had, like you don't come across as an angry, resentful person. But, and so clearly, I, I knew something. You you had to have done something yeah, to get to where you are today. As a teenager, <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of teenagers do, but I would like write really hard. I hate my mother. <laughs> Mm. But I think a lot of teenagers do that. 
So, um, yes. And the levels are a little bit different and you, you're, so for the people who are listening, uh, Kathy just had a pen in her hand and she was gesturing like she like a stabbing motion, which totally it's a little bit off topic, but not completely. Like it just brought up the reminder. My brother had one of those. Do you remember those? There were like inflatable, um, punching bag characters, characters. He had one that was a clown and he stabbed the crap out of that thing and left it in the basement. (laughs) Is a nightmare waiting for somebody. I don't think he has a fear of clowns, but whatever, this clown took it. (laughs) That clown was not fine. No, it was not. Neither was my brother, I guess, at the time, because he was very angry about something. (laughs) At least he took it out on the clown and not on you. Right. Well, I was the older one, so I was all, yeah. There was plenty of that, I'm sure, between like you and your brother, too, like just normal sibling stuff. We're very close now. Um, yeah. I really feel in a lot of ways that um, I was meant to mother my brother mm. because my mother didn't. And um, and we're very, very close. We How much very- older are you than he? 18 months. Okay. So you're pretty close in age. A woman who didn't want the first child. And then finds yourself pregnant 18 months later. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you, um, it sounds like though you, uh, you've taken that, that piece of, from the family, maybe a little bit of like service, the, uh, helping people, teaching, preaching, and, and now you are in a business where you do the same, not preaching, but. Right. Service-based business. Right. Yes. I teach uh, women how to build what I call a virtual expert business, which is a freelancer virtual assistant business that is at a higher level so that they get paid more for their expertise. And how did you decide you wanted to go into a, a business like that where you're helping others? Yeah. Well, um, I was working at a Fortune 500 Corporation for a little over 18 years when I went in and asked my boss why I wasn't getting promoted anymore. And he told me that it was because I laughed and smiled too much. And until I changed that, I would never be promoted again. What? Oh, my gosh. Like, that's that's a horrible thing. You're laughing and smiling too much. I could see why he would say that. Like, who wants that in corporate? I know. Um, so, you know, I went back to my cubicle and I was 40 at the time. Your Dilbert cubicle? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I was working at AT&T, which is what Dilbert bases his also, as he was at Pacific Bell. Yeah. Oh, I loved Dilbert. Oh my gosh. I loved Dilbert so much. He understood my pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really had been doing some, uh, self help work already reading a lot of books going through all the therapy I was talking about um and after I calmed down I thought you know what I think I could start my own business and I took about six months to go through books and plan what I was going to do and all that good stuff and I did I quit that corporate job and started my own business 
And when I gave my resignation to the bo- to my boss, he said, you're never going to make this kind of money again anywhere. You're making a huge mistake. And I vowed right there that I would double what I made. And within three years, I had doubled it. Awesome. <laughs> Congratulations. Went on to 10 times it um, and more. And um, I feel very proud of myself for having done that. And I love what I do still. And I started my own business in 2001, and I'm still here today. Um, yes, it has morphed. And I really feel like uh, when I found the virtual assistant industry and could support people um, in a way that I wanted to support them working for myself, and then people started going, how did you do this? Because at that time, there weren't any trainers training virtual assistants. Mm-hmm. And I started my training program in 2008 because there was such a big request for it. Once I started doing that, I knew that I had found what I was meant to do. Mm. I felt it in every fiber of my being. I had no doubt. It was one of those where up until then I'd be been saying, if only I knew what I wanted to be when I grow up. And finally, yeah. at about the age of 47, I figured it out. <laughs> You know, the point here, I, I have a question in the back of my head that is screaming to be asked, and I will mm-hmm. ask it in a moment. But I want to go, I want to touch on the the age thing that you just said, because a lot of people get into their 40s and are beating themselves up for, I still don't know what I want to do. Like, what's my problem? Right. And there isn't a problem. No, there isn't a problem. And quite honestly, I am now six, almost 67 and I'm going to spend the next year, 2024, figuring out what I want to do for what I'm calling my third act. I first yes. was working in corporation, marrying and divorcing a bunch of times, going through therapy. My second act was starting my business, being married to this same man that I married to right now since for the last 30 years. And now I'm like, hmm, what's next? It's not that I don't want to do my business anymore. I still love my business, but I don't. The rest of my life is just fine. Yeah. 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 Let's get into that in a second. But I want to go back to the question that is screaming in my head that somebody needs an answer to, which is how when you left corporate and you started your own business, how did you get your first client? Um, And this happens a lot of times. I think it they fell in my lap. So I was um, my husband was working as a, as a contractor around the U.S. and Canada. And as he would move, I was moving with him because I could. And um, you might notice that I'm a little opinionated. And I told one of the real estate agents that I was working with, your website's terrible. You need to do blah, 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 blah with it. And he goes, put your uh, ambition where your mouth is, work for me. And I'm like, sure. And he's the one who said, and this is, I want you to work for me as a virtual assistant. I'm like, what's that? And he said, it's where you can work anywhere. And you, I want you to do marketing for me. So I'm like, cool. Yes. And I started doing that and then realized. So here's one of the struggles that I think most people don't know from corporate to working for yourself. Much bigger difference than you realize. So I'm in corporate. I have my MBA. I think I'm hot stuff, right? I've been at AT AT&T for almost 20 years. I'm going to knock this business out of the park. And I start 
I have no idea what I'm doing, pricing, how I'm getting clients, nothing. Uh-huh. So I started searching for a coach who did know how to build a business. And I found a really good coach who taught me how to build a business. And the very first thing she told me to do was raise my rates. She's like, are you really good at what you do? And I said, yeah, I'm really good at what I do. What are you charging now? 25 an hour. She's like, I want you to raise it to 75 an hour. And I'm like, no way I can do that. No way. No way. And she's like, all right, then raise it to 50. So I did. I got a client right away. I raised, she goes, now do your research and find out what the top dollar is that your competitors are charging and charge $10 more an hour than that. And she was right. The amount I needed to charge was 75. Once I started charging 75 and getting referrals from people, you know, building a referral network, I ended up with 70 clients. 70 clients? 70 real estate agents that I did marketing for. And I had a team of five VAs working with me. Yeah. Yeah. That's one way that you know you're on the right track is things just start showing up for you. And the other point is, this is why people in business need coaches. Yes. Because you cannot see what you can't see. That's right. You can't see your blind spots. That's exactly and, right. And you, like, you need somebody to hold you accountable and push you yes. gently, not like, but forcefully and gently at the same right. time. Right. For your own good, for your own best interest, because you don't know what it is. No. And, you know, the, here's my tip is ask your, the people who hire you, ask them why they chose to work with you. Mm. Because that will open your eyes. And what the real estate agents that hired me said was, well, you charge the most, so you're the best, right? And I'm like, (laughs) that's right. Which is, is counterintuitive for people on the, the, the side that you were on in terms of looking for clients. Well, if I'm the most expensive, nobody's going to hire me. Mm-hmm. And that's the opposite. Those right. who want the best will hire, will look for the best and hire them. There are always in, because I, my background is all in marketing too. And I freaking love talking about marketing. Yeah, so we're going to go here for a second, but there are, there's always like three levels they're the people who look for the cheapest, and those are maybe the people who shop at Walmart or whatever. There's the middle ground where most people are. Yeah. They want the middle because that's safe. That's and right. then there are people who want the highest level. They're driving, you know, the Lamborghinis and the Teslas and the, well, Tesla seems more common now, but like, you know, the Mercedes, the Bentleys, the Rolls Royces. There is mm-hmm. a market for that. There is always a market for that. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. the same in every level, whether it's cars or services or whatever it is. And the other thing I did, because, you know, you got you have to really understand your market. And I really learned real estate agents are very, very competitive. Mm. And I set myself up so that I only took one client in each market area. And I had a waiting list of people that wanted me when I didn't have anybody in that market area. And I let all of them know. You're the only one here until you let me go. And then I've got a waiting list that will, somebody's waiting right there. And I literally had people calling and saying, can I get on the waiting list? So it was, it was an exciting time. Then 2008 hit, the real estate market went. And I lost 75% of my clients in one month. So, yeah. So I looked at that and went, okay, now what? I can 
stay here and work through because all the really good agents are going to stay. Mm-hmm. Or this is a good time to make a pivot. And so I decided to take everything I'd learned and create this training program and use the training program for myself to come up with a new niche. Mm-hmm. And I went with professional speakers and oh my gosh, it was a fabulous niche and I had a great time and I sold the rest of my clients to other VAs. So I sold those off and some of the VAs are still working with some of those agents. That's so smart. That, yeah, really is. Okay. Back to the third stage or what did you, did you say third stage? Third Third act. Third act. Okay. Yes. I like it because it's more like a drama, (laughs) a play. Yes. And I love movies. Okay. I'm more than marketing as movies. (laughs) Uh, All right. All right. I got a question to ask you at the end too, aside from your hype song now. Uh, When we talked before in the pre-show interview, you're, this is like a new thing. And this may actually become a new segment on the show. I was thinking about this before we hopped on today of you, everything is fine today, right now for you. Everything is fine. A lot of my guests in the past, they have been in a place where they said everything was fine, but they're not there anymore. They, the story is about how they moved from there to where they are now, but your situation is that's where you are right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What tools, techniques, uh, what are you thinking about doing to Mm -hmm. move yourself Mm -hmm. to where you would like to be? Because you recognize that where you are now is not where you want, where you would like to stay. Right. Right. And and before you answer that, one Mm -hmm. thing is that it's important to recognize that this is where I am. I'm not beating myself up for being here. This is where I am. It's a starting point. Mm-hmm. And now what's next? Yeah. So, and I purposely chose this life I have right here. I mean, I have been very proud. Um, yeah. And that's the right word of how I really decided what I wanted and got what I wanted. I mean, mm-hmm. I had the man I wanted mapped out exactly what I wanted. Um, I wanted somebody that had a vasectomy. Because I'd already married two other guys that after I married him said, I think I do want to have kids. And I'm like, what? You know, I don't want to have kids. So man who had a vasectomy and on and on. I married that man. Um, I wanted to live in a tiny house. We live in a tiny house. I wanted to live in the middle of nowhere. We live in the middle of nowhere. And now I'm tired. Hmm. 30 years later, I'm like, this isn't what I want anymore. I don't know what I want now. I'm not like I was back then, thought I got it all figured out. I don't know what I want. So that's why I've decided to have this year where I explore. Kind of like you're doing, Lori. Mm-hmm. Like you're exploring, right? Yeah, what absolutely. Live? What kind of lifestyle do you really want? I don't know. Mm-hmm. What is the first step you're going to take or that you have already taken to to move in the direction of figuring that out. Yeah. So the first thing I need to do is have a conversation with my husband about it because mm. I, I think you asked me, have you told anybody about this? I'm, I'm like, I've told everyone except my husband. Yeah. <laughs> and this is typically how it goes too. Like that's not unusual. Yeah. And that's a sign to me. That's a sign that that relationship, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. That relationship is not as strong as it could be. Absolutely. I mean, I've been off and on. Do I get a divorce? Do I not? And 
it actually feels good to not be make trying to make that decision because that's what I was trying to decide. I'm like, no, that's not what I want to decide. I want to decide what I want my life to be like. Mm-hmm. I want my life to be like. And um, I have to have that conversation with him today because tomorrow I already have something that I'm going to do. That I, Because one of the things I've realized is, you know, I really love being around people. And living here in the middle of nowhere, I'm isolated. I'm not around anybody. Yeah. So I've got something going on Thursday, Friday, Saturday that he doesn't know about. And then I've got the whole month of January uh, where I'm going to go stay with my girlfriend. So I have to talk with him today and fill in all this. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a difficult conversation, but we've had a lot of difficult conversations in 30 years. Yeah, that and so it's good that you are gonna that you have the ability to have this conversation. Yeah. Do you have you? I'm sure that you've run this through your mind a hundred times of mm-hmm. how you like. What do I say? How do I broach this topic? Like, yeah. what? How do I start it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just gonna say, and men, you know, my husband. Some of them are listening. Men. Don't be clueless. My husband is so clueless that I am unhappy. I mean, he shouldn't be clueless and unhappy, but I am. Yeah. Um, so that's what, I'm gonna, that's what I decided I was going to do. I am not happy. I'm not sure what's going to make me happy, but I would like to spend some time over the next year figuring that out. Mm-hmm. Here's what that's going to look like. <laughs> this is what I'm going to do. You get to choose what you're going to do. Right. Right. Because both of you have a choice here. It's not just you. I mean, you're, 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 you're what I want to do. Yeah. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not instigate. It starts with an I. Uh, <laughs> Irritate. I'm very, I <laughs> <accept it. laughs> um, initiate. You're initiating. Yes. This, this conversation and this change. Yes. And both of you still have the ability to then respond and decide how do I want to move forward in this. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and so you just shared that you have January planned out. But beyond that, and I'm not going to ask you, well, what, what about the rest of the year? Because I don't think you know. And there's no reason for you to know yet. Now, I, part of me is I'm just like open to what mm-hmm. comes up what opportunities yeah. arise. And then of course I can create my own opportunities. So I have a couple of other ideas. Like for example, I have, you know, members in my program that live all over the U S mm-hmm. and I've already done the research on my database to see, you know, if there's groups of them and there are. And one of the thoughts I have is where do I want to go that I can gather people and, you know, instead of having them always come to me, which is usually what happens, I will go to them. So that's one of the things I'm thinking. Of. Yeah. And that would be so, so much fun because it would help with what you're talking about in terms of being isolated. Like a lot of times when we're working in our own businesses, we're isolated. We talk to a lot of people virtually, mm-hmm. but that is not the same as gathering a group of people together in a physical environment. Absolutely right. Or going into when you were talking earlier about the transition between working in an office, working in a corporate setting. And yes, since pandemic, people have even in corporate have worked more virtually. But 
traditionally, when you're working in corporate, you're working with a team, you're working around other people. And once you leave and you do your own thing, you're off on your own. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be very isolating and lonely. Yeah. That's one of the reasons that I've set my program up the way I have to try to create community. And we do a good job on it, but it's still, just like you said, not the same as being in person. It's simply not. Yeah. So, yeah. It, you know, it is a substitute. It's not the real thing. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I am on your cheering team. I'm okay. over here. I'm going to be in your cheering section and interested to hear and follow. Just like people are really interested about my nomad life right now and are following along on social and signing up to be on on the newsletter. If you haven't done that already, sign up to get the newsletter that com- comes out every week. I have different stuff in there than I put on on social, um, but following along. And, you know, kudos to you for the courage to do this, because there are a lot of people who are going to be watching you saying, I wish I had the courage to do that. Yeah. Um, and believe me, late at night when I'm tired, the other night I thought, why am I doing this? I'm making my life more difficult. I'm stirring things up again, which I, I tend to do. Um, I could just relax and, you know, honestly, do what my husband wants me to do, which is retire and sit in a recliner alongside this recliner and watch television and grow old, old, old together. But mm-hmm. that is not what I want. I know. I I think I told you, Lori, I know what I don't want. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to discover is what I do want now. Yeah. And that is for a lot of people. I would say most people, you start from what you don't want and figure out what you do want. A kind of not necessarily a process of elimination, but you have to start somewhere. And when the world is wide open, like unlimited. Yeah. That's that can be overwhelming to figure out what do I do I want, right. and so starting from what you don't want is the logical and s- smart place to start. Yeah, somebody yesterday said to me, "Oh, have you really thought this through? Because you're going to have to like pack and go, and then come back and unpack." And I'm like, "Yeah, but we have to do that in life, no matter what." And or you could do like you did, Lori, and pack everything up in a car and go, mm-hmm. you know? And then yep. you don't have to unpack so much, just a little bit. And I've always liked minimalism, so just become more minimal, and there's not so much to pack and unpack. Right. You're unburdening yourself physically and emotionally. Yeah. <laughs> and that's another thing I'm going to do this year is a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. Because awesome. I don't want to spend up 10 years from now looking back going, I just wasted the last 10 years doing nothing because I didn't know what to do. Right. Right. Because the, the whole. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, the whole objective, I think, for most people really deep down in your soul is to live a life that feels fulfilling. Exactly. Not to just exist. Right. Because you were afraid or because you, you think you didn't have the courage. Right. Like, everybody has it somewhere. It's a matter of finding it and finding the right people to help support you in it. Like yeah. I just said, I'm on your, your 
fan club and cheering team. Like that's an important thing. It is. In fact, I'm hoping we can meet up sometime this year. Oh my gosh, I would love that. That would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that's part of the reason why I I chose to go out and do Nomad Life was to have the opportunity to meet people that have been on my podcast that I've never met in person and uh, be on to meet people that I've been a guest on their podcast and we've never met in person. Like it's like yeah, it's so much fun. So yes, we are definitely going to do that. This has been such a good conversation. Like I am so excited for what you're stepping into. And I hope that people who are listening are hearing what we're saying about taking the next step, even if you can't, you know, there's that Martin Luther King quote about taking the next step, even if you can't see the whole staircase, just take that first step. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Take the step, what? you know, leap and the net will appear. That's one yeah. of the ones that I've always yeah. well, we can We can go on with the quotes all afternoon. <laughs> well, and I just um, answered a survey that Oprah herself sent me. I was so excited to get an email from Oprah. And I would be too. <laughs> and one of the questions she asked was, what would you tell your 16-year-old self? And mine was, take bigger risks sooner. Mm. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, because I waited till I was 40 to really start living, I feel like. And give yourself grace and yes. and be proud of the fact that you did it. It doesn't matter the age. Right. It's the fact that you did. Because we all get to the place we're supposed to be at whatever time. Yeah, true. And if I hadn't gone through those previous years, I wouldn't have had the courage to do anything. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, good point. Awesome. All right. So the question that I, that you know is coming yeah. is, is what's your hype song? Like what's that song you're going to put on in the car as you're driving away and shake turn it up. it up to 10? Shake it up. Taylor Swift, shake it up. Oh, love I it. just love the energy of it. I love the energy of that song. Very cool. And then since you mentioned movies and being a movie buff, I, I feel compelled to ask you mm-hmm. what, what movie is the one that you've seen many times and would will we'll watch again many times? So right now I am totally in a Fargo mood. Okay. I love that movie. I just watched it again this week and I probably watched it 50 times. Um, and the new season of Fargo, the series is out, which I'm loving also. Okay. Uh, so I love, do you know what Fargo is? I mean, it's kind of one of those uh, dramas with humor, like bizarre kind of humor stuck in. And I love that. I, yeah, love- I, I actually have never seen that movie, but I know there's, I know about the one scene with the wood chipper. Yeah. But I, I and haven't seen it. Funny. That's a funny scene. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it is such a good movie. Very, very. All I, right. Well, maybe I, you've, you've inspired me to go watch it finally. It's Minnesota. I love the yes. accent. Right. I, love, I love that humor. I love everything about it. So that would be okay. Not a Christmas movie. So if this is if you're thinking about Christmas, my favorite Christmas movie is Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Yes, the original. I love that movie. Yeah, I believe. Awesome. I believe. From <laughs> <laughs> the car, getting ready to go. That last bit. I believe. I believe. And that is such a great way to end this show with, I believe, 
and whatever you put after that, you don't even have to put anything after it. It's a, it's a sentence on its own, I believe. I, absolutely it is. Kathy, thank you so much for joining me. How can people find you if they want to continue a conversation with you or follow you on your journey? Yeah. So go to virtualexperttraining.com and okay. links to all of my stuff and all about me and my training program and more about how I got started and my journey. Sweet. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Lori. And, and we're going to check back in with you perhaps throughout, throughout your journey. I'll be, I will certainly be checking back in and uh, maybe do a follow-up show with you. Oh, I would love that. Maybe when we're together in person. Mm, good idea. All <laughs> right. Well, thank you, Kathy, for joining me today on Fine is a Four-Letter Word. Thank you so much, Lori. I really appreciate it. As I mentioned at the beginning, this is not your typical here's what happened and here's what I learned from it podcast interview. I'm planning to do more like this, where you're a member of the audience as the plot unfolds. Here are some key takeaways. Number one, you give forgiveness so you can heal. It doesn't matter if the other person accepts it. In Kathy's case, nothing was ever going to change the fact that her mother tried to abort her and even used her last words to Kathy to drive home her point that kids are bad. The only way Kathy could ever move on was to accept that her mother didn't want kids and forgive her for acting as she did. Number two, similarly. Anger and resentment can only poison you. Holding on to these feelings is like drinking poison and hoping it kills the other person. A friend of mine says that even if you believe in reincarnation, you only get to live this life once. You don't know what your previous life was, necessarily, and you can't predetermine what your next life will be. So best to make the most of this lifetime. Number three, hindsight is twenty twenty. Oprah Winfrey asks you to consider what you would tell your 16-year-old self if you could go back in time and let them know how things turned out later. So pause. Ask yourself this same question. Even though you're not 16 anymore, imparting that wisdom to your younger self or your inner child has a way of catching up to wherever you find yourself now and helping you get more out of your life's journey from this point forward. Number four, Very often, we tolerate situations that aren't good for us because changing things could adversely affect other people who have done nothing wrong. I know this from firsthand experience. Kathy needs to decide what future she wants, if any, with her husband. It's interesting to note how she simultaneously informed him of her decision and empowered him to make decisions that will best serve him as time goes on. And number five, finally, on a different note, If you want more from life, raise your standards. In Kathy's case, she raised her rates in business. It was a big step going from $25 an hour to $50 an hour. However, once she did this, she had to create waiting lists. It seems counterintuitive, but life will give you whatever price you ask of it. Thanks for listening to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. If you've enjoyed the show, please follow and share it with a friend. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform to help others discover it too. You can find links to my socials on my website, zenrabbit.com. 
And before you go, take a moment to reflect on what you're grateful for today. Remember, you have the power to create a life you love. And I'm proud of you. Thanks for joining me. Take care.